Connors, we like to talk about women in motorsports, don't we? It is kind of a major part of every podcast we do. You're right. And a lot of the time we talk about theories or reasons or things that are that show or explain or impact why women aren't in motorsports or how women participate in motorsports. That's true, but we never go super in-depth about kind of any of these concepts or, or you know, whatnot. So we're, we're going to do that today. Exactly right. We have decided in what technically was meant to be our summer break episode, but in the grand tradition of the grid girls, life got... Life got in the way. So um, we thought today we would make this episode and this episode is entirely dedicated to women in motorsport. So if you are coming to this episode listening, uh, looking for some chat about IndyCar in Texas or Formula One in Spa, we suggest you wait a few days and we'll be back with that shortly. But we suggest you actually stay around for this conversation. Because today we're going to be talking about women in motorsport and the myths that impact why the participation is as it is, the concepts that kind of underpin a lot of what we talk about, and all the different factors and things that contribute to the still remarkably low numbers of women in motorsport. Basically, the idea of this podcast was that we wanted to have a thing to point to whenever people come at us with arguments about why there are no women at the top levels of motorsport. It's basically, you know, women in motorsport 101. Yeah, yeah. So welcome. Welcome to this this little experiment. As I like to subtitle this episode, fun with feminism and sport. And now everyone has clicked out. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I did propose that to you as a, as a title for the show, but sad as it is we are realistic in the sense that the moment you put the word feminism in the title of something a it increases the number of assholes that come looking for you to start a fight or b it increases the number of people that are like i'm not gonna listen anymore yeah yeah it's annoying maybe i'll just skip this one all right so let's do this today yeah we're talking about we'll we'll start with the concepts of all this stuff um again like this is all focused around the idea of women making the top levels of motorsport not karting not quarter midgets because we know women can succeed at the lower levels um it's all about getting to that top level i feel like we almost need to start with the concept of and and you and i have talked about this before equality versus equity and the fact that there is no Theoretically, in a equal society, there should be no reason for why the numbers of men to women in motorsports are significantly different. You know, motorsports is a sport, and we can recognize this, where there should be reduced or very little or no physical barriers for female participation in the same way as men. So we, we understand that theoretically there should be no barriers for equal participation by women in motorsports. There is no physical barriers. We're not talking about a sport that relies on physical size or speed or any differentiating factors that men or women have a superiority in. We're talking about a highly intellectual, highly skill-based thing where uh, – your, your vehicle does a lot of those physical things. So your differentiation is not significant. And so we talk about theoretically men and women being equal in this sense. And in a true society, 
You know, there is no... Uh, men and women have equal access to motorsports, theoretically. There is no men's competition versus women's competition. There's no actual rules or regulations that prevent the equal participation of women. Right, and that's an argument, that's an argument we see all the time from people uh, asking why there are not more, more women in motorsports. You know, they say the whole, the whole thing about, well, there's no, there's no reason why there shouldn't be women in motorsports. Like, there's no rules saying that women can't be here. Maybe it's just that women don't want to. Maybe it's just that women don't want to race cars. They don't want to, you know, be a part of this. Um, except that that's not actually how it works. So when we talk about equal, we, we, we talk about the concept that everyone is exposed to the same playing field. Everyone starts on the same playing field and has the same opportunities to succeed. And this is a theoretical sense. It's based on a concept of merit, which is something we're going to discuss a bit later. Uh, because merit is both a flawed and bullshit concept that we will get into. But we talk about the idea of equality and everyone being on an equal playing field. But what the fact of the matter is, in today's society, in, in, in the society that we have, this equal playing field for women in motorsport doesn't exist. And, and that's just one of many areas in life where, you know, the playing field for women is, is in equal. We see, you know, the gender pay gap. Uh, we see, you know, women in executive positions. We see all of these kind of things. And, and not just women. You know, you, you look at motorsports, there is a, there is a very low representation of people in, of colour in, in motorsports. There's all these different kinds of unequal playing fields in so many different areas. But obviously, women in motorsport is the one we're talking about here. So right. we often and if talk- you think about that, the... the... The equality factor there is that, you know, it's harder for women to get sponsorship. It's harder for women to, you know, kind of break through that barrier when you hit, you know, racing in actual open wheel cars versus quarter midgets or carts. Um, because people are more inclined, and we'll get into this with merit too, um, people are more likely to sponsor a very good male driver versus a very good female driver. And also very good female drivers are more likely to think, oh, this isn't something I can do as a, as a professional career and are more likely to take a different path or more likely to drop out, which is. So when we talk about equality versus equity, what we are talking about is that we need to look at the situations for women in an equitable sense. What do we need to do to ensure they are given the same opportunities to succeed as a male driver? There's a really great cartoon that goes around, and I often use this when I'm making the argument through my work, that technically on these playing fields, men and women are given the same opportunity to succeed. But the playing field is not equal. And the example I use is if you are six foot tall and I am five foot tall, which is essentially how our heights are (laughs) and we are both watching the same sporting event but we are trying to watch the game over a fence that's five and a half feet tall you can see over this fence to see this game but i can't in an equal society we are given the same we are given the same opportunity so you and i are both standing on the same plane we're on the same field trying to look over the same fence to see the same game I can't because I am at a disadvantage because of my height. And an equitable... And it's, it's basically, yeah, it's the same thing in an equitable sense. What you would need to do is give you a bench to see over the fence with. Exactly. So the outcome of this is, is that both you and I are able to see over the fence. So I need 
extra help in this situation to rectify an inequality. When we talk about women in motorsports, we look at programs like Susie Wolf's uh, Dare to Be Different. We look at, you know, if we're looking in an academic sense, you know, programs that favor, uh, you know, increased uh, funding and programs for women in science and things like this. Yep. When I worked for, when I worked for the Girl Scouts, there was a major part of that, which was really great. Um, that was focusing on getting these troops into science, technology, engineering, and mechanics, or in math, STEM fields, um, encouraging them to, to earn badges that, that, you know, would push them towards going into those fields. It's stuff like that that kind of raises that equity level, trying to get more women in on the ground level, um, which is pretty important. So when we talk about equitable situations, we're talking about equitable situations to create equal playing fields. And we have to, to, to do this, we have to recognize what these myths or factors or, or concepts are that prevent women's participation in, in motorsports. And so that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today in an in-depth level. Obviously, you know, as we, we just explained, we, we've laid out equality versus equity. So uh, have a think on that one because that's, I think in, in, in motorsports, that's something that's not thought of enough. You know, we women technically should be able to succeed, but, but what's preventing them? And so as you, you touched on, you spoke about the fact that there's this myth and that kind of sets up so much the problems that women in motorsports experience. And it's this myth that women don't want to race cars. Yep. I think we need to take this for a second and unpack it and look at the barriers to women getting to those top levels. Because there are a lot of them. Um, the, the viewpoint of most people in the sport is that it's a man's sport, you know? As much as women and men can participate in this, in this sport equally, uh, that cultural kind of like, it's a manly man's, like, let's all drive cars and be badass um, kind of concept is, is still very, very much there in the year 2016, which is kind of awful. Um, and it, it plays a role at every level to pushing women out, you know, uh, women drivers are just seen as one of the guys or they're encouraged to be less feminine. They're encouraged to be, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it, it's a really interesting scenario because you, you mentioned there that almost to participate on an equal level, it's as a female driver, you can't win. Because you're encouraged to be like the guys, to compete like the guys and all of this kind of sense. But at the same time, you're also held to this standard that is incredibly negative if you don't conform to these feminine ideals. And if you do conform to these feminine ideals, then you are also crucified again. We just have to look at what happens to, you know, people say things about, you know, Simona de Silvestre. She doesn't she's not necessarily like Danica Patrick. But Danica Patrick on the same side also gets crucified for being too feminine or too this or too these kind of things. Like it's a really inequitable, can't win situation. Yeah, it is, it is a little bit ridiculous how you can do one or you can do the other, but you can't make people happy no matter what you do. Yes, completely. I think also, um, and you touched on this initially, you know, this culture that it's a man's sport. So much of the things that prevent women from participating in motorsports, even at a, even at a, if we're just talking at a grassroots level, are sociological or culturally based. This isn't a, this isn't a sport for women. This is a man's sport. You know, fathers are less likely to encourage their daughters. Girls that participate are more likely to be subject to 
bullying behaviors or this behavior or that behavior. Maybe not at an entry level when they're six, seven, eight, nine. You know, maybe when they get to that 10, 12, 14 level and it comes about taking the next step, you know, they're, they're pushed away from it. There isn't a framework to encourage their participation and continued participation. In one of the interviews we did earlier this year, um, I believe it was with Pippa, uh, she said that it's, it's that age, it's that 12, 13, 14 age group where you're, start, you're coming into being a teenager. You're also coming into the point where you need to make a commitment as to whether you want to do this as a career. Um, it's also the point where you're starting to have to find sponsors. You're starting to get picked on for either being too feminine or not being feminine enough. It's just a, a little nuclear bomb of like so many factors that you suddenly have to deal with. Um, it makes the sport less fun. Um, and I, it's perfectly understandable why all these girls would suddenly drop out at that age. And it sucks. And that's one of the things that needs to be worked on, honestly, to get this equity factor into, into play. I, I know that, and I, and I, forgive me, I can't remember which, uh, driver I did, I did read this article to do, and it was a young driver, uh, but I, I read an article from a young, uh, aspiring motorsports, uh, driver, earlier in the year and she talked about the fact that when you put your suit on and your helmet on there is equality you she doesn't look like a girl she, the, the, no one says that's the girl yada 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 but she had found that in the first race you'd beat the boys and in the second race you'd be off you'd be off the uh the track because no one wanted to be beaten by a girl a second time that the boys had that negative mentality that wasn't necessarily fed by them but it was fed by those around them that viewed the being beaten by a girl as something lesser and as someone who played I grew up playing boy sport there was no women's team in my area I was the only woman in my woman in my club and I played a position as a goaltender that when fully kitted up I was genderless. I had short hair or like tucked up hair. I could put a helmet on and it was nothing. But when you would beat someone and you would take that helmet off at the end of the game to shake their hands, you would hear almost every game, oh, I can't believe you're a girl. We got beaten by a girl. There's this mentality that perpetuates this kind of negativeness and pushes and contributes to push women out of the sport that being beaten by a girl is something to be ashamed of. Yep. And I mean, that if we want to get really, really feminist about it, <laughs> uh, the patriarchy, man. Fuck the patriarchy. This whole... <laughs> it really does all boil down to very, like, a toxic idea of masculinity that, you know, being less, or being less good than a woman makes you less of a human being. And it's pretty damn awful. I think that's the funny thing, you know, whenever it, we, we started the show talking about this, that the moment you say the word feminism, someone's like, Ugh, burn your bras, hate everything, men are evil. <laughs> but the thing is, feminism is really just trying to get us all on that equal playing field with that equity so that we can all play this fun game that we all love together. Like, <laughs> And that's the argument I always make to people, that feminism is in many ways just as beneficial to men as it is to women because a equitable more feminist society 
respects like I, I, I don't think I have a motorsports analogy, but in a generalist society, you know, as a woman, you should be able to have a career and a family. And as a man, you should be able to make that choice to be a stay at home dad and experience the exact same level of appreciation or support or all of these things. There shouldn't be this negative connotation. Yeah, so the, the motorsport analogy, the motorsport analogy would be, did you read the, you read the article about the Australian racer who on purpose wore pink racing suits to like assert the fact that she's a woman? I believe she almost won the Australian like motorsports championship of some sorts. It was like- Are we talking about Leanne Tander? It's Le- is Leanne Tander, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so she almost won that championship. Um, a feminist society would be guys being like, damn it, I didn't, like, we, she almost won the championship. Uh, we need to figure out how to beat her better next year. Instead of being like, oh, dang, she almost won the championship. That would have actually ruined Australian motorsports. There are two very different approaches here. One of them is great for everyone because it creates more competition and, you know, makes for a better sporting viewing situation for everybody. And one is just awful. Yep, one is just trash and alienates half of your fan base, half of your potential racers in this series in the future. I think ideally it should be very easy and very clear to pick which option here is better for everyone. And yet some people just aren't able to do that. (laughs) And I think it's also like we, you and I experience this often because we talk... uh, we exist in a in a sporting sphere that we both work with where the women's variation in the sport is devalued in comparison to its its male competition and that's also because you know we as a society view male sporting excellence as a pinnacle and as a benchmark and that that is the one that that we value and i find it really it makes me almost excited because motorsports has such a potential to be something so very different because it is one of the few situations where we can have a genderless playing field, if that makes sense. And not even genderless, because I feel like making it genderless... Gender neutral is the term, probably. Yes, because I feel like women should still absolutely be able to celebrate being women in this playing field. Um, And genderless makes it sound like that's not a thing. I think gender neutral was probably the better term I was going for there, that it it was a competition that was able to be participated in regardless. Gender equitable. Regardless (laughs) of gender. You know, that your gender doesn't differentiate your ability to participate. Um, So we touched on this briefly at the start, and I wanted to to kind of uh, unpack this concept and it comes to the fact that we talk about, um, you know, well, people pick the best driver for the situation. Now, obviously, we know that that's not true. Pastor Maldonado had a long career in Formula One, and that is because Pastor. How about my? How about my favorite manor driver? How about Rio Harianto? I don't think he got here based on merit alone. Yeah, we're talking about the fact that, uh, and we need to have this discussion excluding the concept of pay driver because that is another discussion that we will have after this but if we're talking purely about drivers who are being picked on their talent and their perceived talent and so forth the concept is is that they pick the best driver for the job the best driver is picked this is a myth 
This is like every time someone says to you, oh, well, I hire on merit. I don't consider other factors. I hire on merit. I hire the best person for the job. This is a flawed bullshit concept. <laughs> right, exactly. Because it's very subjective. Who decides who's the best person for the job? You do, because you're going to have to be their boss and you have to figure out who you're going to work best with. Exactly. And, and there, look, there is situations where you look like, yes, maybe motorsports has a slight more advantage over hiring because you have a competition format and you can say this person had 400 points and this person had 350. But then there is factors like, do I think this person had a better car? Do I think this person does this? But there are those factors. So it's not, it may not be as subjective as some, but there is a significant element still of subjectivity. You just have to look. Yes. I mean, how many, how, many of these, how many of these junior drivers have we seen who have very few points in the junior categories, but they look like they have potential? So Red Bull signs them to the junior program or, you know, stuff like that. Max <laughs> Verstappen. Max Verstappen. If we're talking about picking the best person for the job, you have to look at, okay, Max Verstappen dominated Formula 3, but could he dominate GP2? And does he need to compete in GP2 for you to have that level playing field? There's an element of subjectivity of your understanding of their talent. But merit, which we talk about being picking the best person for the job, is about assessing someone's current performance and then their perceived potential. And I think in motorsports, that perceived potential is where it becomes incredibly subjective because this assessment is subjective. And it often reflects um, what that person uh, has experienced before. What, based on their experience, what they think this person's potential will pan out to be. There's this really great quote that I took from an academic paper I read recently about uh, it's called the, the, uh, the, the merit trap. I think it was called. And it was basically about how merit is a bullshit concept. And this paper says, an argument of merit is the status quo reinforcing the status quo. When we talk about merit, what I define as merit, or what the person assessing a driver defines as merit, is often reflective of that assessor. You know, what, you know, in that, in that sense. Right. So let's say you're Christian Horner and you have to pick some drivers for Red Bull. How are you going to pick those drivers? You're going to look at their points, and you're going to look at their potential based on the potential of drivers you've seen before. It's the status quo reinforcing the status quo. It's, there's, there's, merit continues to be... Merit continues to be defined as people like us who have done what we did so that we know we will get the same, if that makes sense. When you are... Say you're the head of the Red Bull Drivers Academy. You want to find the next Sebastian Vettel. So you look to see what Sebastian Vettel did. You know, where does he come from? What's his experience? What was his background? What was his attitude? You know, all of these kind of things. And I'm not saying necessarily that's, a, that's an entirely false way to do it. I mean, that's not, a bad, that's not a bad way to go about things. Yeah, right, exactly. But the way to get more of a variety of people into this sport is not to just continue to go down the same exact avenues all the time. Or if you want to go down those same exact avenues all the time, make sure that more people have access to those avenues. Yes. We talk about, uh, I think the expression is called the affinity bias. We have a tendency as a society to favor people that look like us, think like us, act like us, have done what we have done. 
because it's something that we understand and something that we recognize. So when we continue a recruitment strategy that is based on this concept of merit that looks like us and we do it without examining any biases that we have. Why do we favor people from here? Why do we favor people that have come out of GP3 and GP2 over this? Like why do we favor even at a 13 or 14 year old structure? Why do we favor this country over that country? This, 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 this team, this, this, all of those kind of factors. Um, and the other, the other kind of element to it is, is that we also kind of suggest that the problem with these gender equality is, is because there's, there's not enough women in the sport. You know, we don't, uh, there's, there's the supply problem is dramatically different. You know, that we, we don't have enough women in the sport for us to pick from. But we fail to recognize that we aren't encouraging women in the sport. So there is no supply created because there's no demand. Exactly. You know, if you look at karting and if you look at, you know, in the States, quarter midgets and, you know, some of these really low level, here's how you get into motorsport. You start here and you work your way up. There are plenty of young girls, you know, karting and racing quarter midgets and whatnot. My God, I would love to go back to being young. And I would be like, I'm like, I would love to turn back to being like seven or eight years old because I would be like, I want to become a Formula One driver. Let's do this. It never happened because we don't have any money. But still, like. But I mean, you, you say that now knowing what you know now. Oh, yeah. No, completely. This is not a realistic thing. <laughs> but here's, here's, here's my point. That supply side versus demand issue. There would be plenty of women for you to choose from and give opportunities to if you would choose them and give opportunities to them at the starting point that you give men these opportunities. You know, you have these, these early teens male drivers who get picked by these like Red Bull Academy, McLaren Juniors, whatever. You very, aside from Bitsky Visser, who had a very brief stint in the Red Bull Drivers Academy, you very rarely see women get those opportunities. And it's not like there's not a ton of them to choose from. If you wanted to, you know, get them sponsorship and get them more experience at that level, if they look good in carts, they should be given the same opportunities as, you know, the, the boys who are getting the opportunities at that age. The, the supply is there if, if people are willing to take the risk and, you know, take a chance on a, a young woman driver. And you hit on a key phrase just then helping them get sponsorship maybe five years ago eight years ago you could be in the red bull driver program or the ferrari drivers program without sponsorship but we don't that that doesn't exist anymore even if red bull or ferrari want you in their drivers program you still need to bring money with you nowadays there is there is very few programs that are entirely based on talent and talent alone i suspect maybe williams mclaren and potentially mercedes are really the only three programs and even then they don't have a established drivers academy system like red bull or ferrari do they pick their their favorites out of the gp2 and gp3 rankings and and once they've already got to that point yeah and, and you've already had to bring your own sponsorships to get to those levels. But it is harder, infinitely harder, as a female driver 
to um to get those personal sponsors yeah it is it's infinitely harder for women to get those sponsorships and the, the other thing is you know harking back to our discussion of whether to be too feminine or not to be you know to be focused entirely on racing you have to as a woman walk that fine line to get sponsorships and it's i feel like that's a lot of garbage um you're not you, you know you have drivers not to you know harp too much on carmen jorda but who bring the money because she's able to use her looks to get good sponsorships. Danica Patrick was in tons of ads when I was a kid where, you know, she's dressed in practically nothing for GoDaddy. I'm sure if she refused to do that, GoDaddy wouldn't have sponsored her. Simona DiSilvestro got away with it somehow, um, getting to be sponsored by, like, the clean energy and whatnot. Um, but European she's a very money. rare case of that. She came with European money, too. Right. If so, I mean, are... it, that's, you know, if you're, if you're a girl and you want to get a sponsorship and you don't want it to be, you know, uh, Pippa Man's wonderful, but to just be primarily sponsored by breast cancer research is pretty gender specific. Um, a lot of these big companies that are, you know, just general companies that aren't just marketed as at women won't take that chance unless you're willing to, you know, use your looks to help them. If you are interested in in this conversation about branding and sponsorship of women in in sports let me just take a quick moment to recommend uh the nine for nine espn documentary branded is incredible it touches on danica it touches on the anna kornikova concept all of that kind of stuff if you are interested in this discussion i highly recommend watching that also let me give a shout out to uh let them wear towels which is another great one from that series you should totally watch because it's about women in uh journalism in sport both brilliant but you're completely right there sarah it's such a hard it is such a hard situation and, and people are like look you know what there is certain drivers in formula one in that that have more sponsorship deals because of the fact that like no one can deny that nico rosberg looks great on a poster no one can deny that lewis hamilton's personality and how he does things affect increased branding and things like that but they didn't get there based on their looks they got there based on their driving getting to the top of the field and getting their faces plastered all over everything because they win and because they succeed they don't have to start with their looks which is what women a lot of times are forced to do it's you just have to look at uh we we, we've just finished the olympics and you you look at uh, and you hear a lot of discussion about um the amazing female athletes and the struggles that they have to to succeed and to find financial stability one of the great examples um and forgive me, I cannot recall her name. She is an American weightlifter who I believe won a silver uh, or a bronze at this championship. She does not have a single medal. She's, I believe, multiple time, like uh, either world champion or, or like high level world uh, championship contender. She does not have a single sponsor. I think she has one sponsor and they provide her like protein bars for free. That's all she has because... She isn't someone that you would put in a fashion magazine. She doesn't look like a model that you would put on an ad. You just have to look at who endorses, you know, who are the big name endorsers that you saw on ads during the Olympics. You know, you saw Lindsay Vaughn, gold medalist, beautiful, tall, blonde. And to be perfectly honest, that commercial was hilarious. 
The but, Reese's one? No, yeah, the one where she's trying to do all the Summer Olympics Hilarious. events. Hilarious. <laughs> so funny. But but you just have to look at who those uh, endorsers typically are. Yes, maybe they're sports that are more uh, typically popular, but Lindsay Vaughn is a downhill skier. Like, this is not... Like, we're not talking about a gymnast here. We're not talking about a sport that everyone tunes in for at the Olympics. She's not a gymnast. She's not a swimmer. You just have to look at that that kind of that thing. You know, but she's tall and beautiful and looks great on a cover. Who is the most popular member of the U.S. women's soccer team? Uh, you know, honestly, right now... That isn't Hope Solite. It's Alex Morgan. It is Alex Morgan. You're right. You know, and, and yes, Alex Morgan is one of the best players in the world, but you look at the difference of what Alex Morgan gets compared to, say, someone like Christine Sinclair. You just look at the differentiations and things like that because Alex Morgan, and, and also the same for Sydney LaRue, they look great in a magazine. Mm-hmm. And then you flip this on its head and you get these women who, you know, are attractive, are, are socially, you know, considered acceptable to put in these magazines who have gotten to these, you know, middling to higher levels of motorsport. And what do people do? People tear shreds off them. They claim that they've, they do. Yep. Yep. So how are you going to assess the merit of someone who's gotten to that level on their driving and on their looks when all that you're going to do is trash their looks? And that's the thing. You know, there's no merit. There's no merit here. You're not looking at merit. You're looking at a way to get women out of the sport that you're watching. And, and, and that's the interesting thing. And you and I have talked about this several times. And, and what we've talked about is Carmen Jorda. Now, Carmen Jorda may not be a driver with a skill set comparable no. To... If we're gonna talk to, if we're gonna talk about Carmen Jorda, first of all, we need to level. We need to level her playing field. We need to talk about the fact very quickly that there are pay drivers involved in this sport that do not have the skill set required to be at the Formula One level. Uh, Rio Harianto is not very good. <laughs> I mean, he's he's better. He he did okay. He beat Pascal Wehrlein like twice. The discrepancy between Rio Harianto and the rest of the field is slightly less significant than the discrepancy we saw between Carmen Jorda and the GP3 right. field in, in a lot of instances. And yet, Carmen Jorda never saw the inside of an F1 car. Carmen Jorda was literally hired by Lotus to stand in the garage and be a woman publicly visible on TV. Which is very cool, actually. I think that, honestly, it's really it's neat when teams hire women to be front-facing in F1. I mean, I think that's also the same thing we saw with, you know, yes, they let Susie Wolf drive a car, which was amazing. But I think, and you and I it's have It's more come, for visibility than for performance. You and I have touched on this several times. We would love to see female drivers in proactive roles where they get to drive cars and things like this. But there's still a value and an importance to pretty women standing in that garage as a development driver because you... Yeah, back to, back to, back to Carmen Jorda and, and her role with Lotus. So her role was to help develop the car by which, I mean, she sat in the simulator a bunch of times and hopefully provided good feedback to the team. Um, and yet, you know, every time she's shown on TV... As a woman, I think, oh, cool. You know, it's nice to see an F1 team have someone to help develop the car who's female, who can, you know, be a touchstone for young girls who are maybe working their way up. 
Because if you tell an eight-year-old girl that, oh, yeah, Carmen Jurda, she's a development driver for Lotus, that girl will not think, oh, she just got there because she's pretty. Oh, she's, she's useless. She shouldn't be in the garage. Um, no, that girl will think, oh, cool, that's a thing that maybe I can do someday if I love this sport. And you can obviously talk to this as well. We have seen the impact that having a female role model can create with female inclusion in the sport in the uh, NHRA. Uh, Shirley, Shirley Muldoney from the 70s trailed, trailblazed her way into, into the NHRA. And now... And now we've got women have, you know, accumulated over 100 wins in the NHRA, which is really freaking cool. Courtney Force got win number 100 in 2014. Um, it's just, yeah, the NHRA, I can never say that acronym properly. The NHRA. Uh, is, I just keep wanting to call it the NRA, and I'm like, no. It's not the NRA, no. Um, it's a perfect example of, you know, you put this face in here. You have Shirley Muldowney being a complete badass, winning shit in the 70s, despite men actively trying to get her out of the sport. Uh, you should read about her career at some point, if, even if you're not interested in drag racing. It is fascinating. Um, and having her as, like, a touch point for women wanting to get into racing, um, now, you know, you turn on a drag race, and you've got Erica Enders, you've got Courtney Force, you've got, you know... Uh, other women participating in this sport that you know they line up against the man and the man is just like all right cool so here's this one she you know he's she's been here women are in this sport it's not a big deal it's literally not a big deal courtney force gets to race against her dad and the whole fan base is just like oh boy oh boy family fighting each other here we go not oh she's a girl fighting against you know a dude what a big deal this is the worst thing ever you know it's it's so cool to see I personally, every time a Formula One driver has a kid and it's a girl, I'm like, you better, you better encourage your daughter to drive cars. Like, uh, like, because, because we saw, and, and this was the discussion. Um, it would be great if we lived in a society where becoming a father to a daughter wasn't the main thing that had men come to their feminist side of thinking. But to be honest, if that's what it takes, I will take that. Okay. Like, if it gets you to where we want you to be, I will take that. Um, yeah, it's not, I, it's not ideal, but, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, you only got here because you have a daughter. Exactly. If we get That's to the fine. end point where we want you to be, we will forgive the path of your journey to an extent. <laughs> um, now, Erica Enders, is that a person or a Disney? No, she's real. She played herself in a Disney movie. How cool is that? Okay, because I was, I was looking at this and I was like, um, I'm not sure if Erica Enders was a character or was Erica Enders was a person. Do you know what's actually really funny? Um, some of the best portrayals of women in motorsport happen to come from the Harlequin NASCAR series. Because, no, but here's the thing. I enjoy a good sports romance novel and yes not all of them are brilliantly feminist i will give them that but some of them are remarkably feminist and the female leads are drivers team owners mechanics engineers like there was an almost better depiction of women engaged equitably in motorsports in harlequin romance <laughs> novels yeah but here's than the thing in the society we live in and i'm like that's a little bit sad. 
it is a little sad because obviously the the um, intended audience for those is women. It's not like it's a thing that's going to help society move forward. And we're the choir. You're preaching to us. <laughs> no, I know. Exactly. That's that's the thing. Now, this movie, I remember watching this movie when it came out, right? This Disney movie. It came out in 2003. Uh, it was called Right on Track. Um, it was about two girls working, you know, their way through this, you know, field of dudes trying to race against the boys and be badass. Um, and I remember loving it. I loved it so much. And like a Disney movie, that's something that, that you know, kids of both of all genders are going to watch. Uh, what a great thing, you know? Uh, and, you know, Disney movies have done stuff like this before. They had girls on the boys team and Mighty Ducks, um, whatnot. But, you know, and I'm sure that that helped contribute to women getting into hockey as well, you know? Here you are, you're, you're a- Man, I wanted to be Julie the Cat so much. Oh, I know, seriously. Um, but like, with, with the, the drag racing movie, you know, here you are as a, you know, maybe you're a go-karter and you're like eight or nine and you see this movie and you're just like, oh, cool, they could do it and so can I. You know, it's all about having touch points that you can work towards. If there's no one who did it before you, how the heck are you supposed to know that it can be a thing that you can do? There's- Yes, and we actually saw this discussion this week because there's been a large discussion about things like women in play-by-play and commentary positions in football and other sports. Traditionally, the only time we see women in sporting broadcast coverage is on the sidelines. I know that um, at one time in my life, I really thought that I wanted to go into broadcast, and I still do. I would love to do broadcast. But I was sure that I didn't know enough and I wasn't pretty enough to be a sideline reporter. And you know what? Whether that's right or wrong or bullshit or any of like that, I had the perception to myself that that was the only way I could be engaged in the sport and I wasn't of the ideal. I'm not tall. I'm not super skinny. I'm not blonde. And I definitely have nothing that could be considered boobs. And so I decided that, like... This wasn't for me. I, I wasn't going to do that to myself. And that's a shitty situation. But we talked about, there was this great quote, and I think that covers as much for women in, in motorsports participating, women who want to work in hockey, women who want to broadcast football, all of these things. And it was that one of the reasons that there aren't more women is because women don't think it is a possibility to do these jobs or to participate in these ways because there's no example out there and that it takes a really special person or a rare bird to think hey there's no one that does this that looks like me or sounds like me or is like me doing this so maybe i'll try it like right so and if you think about that quote so here you have you know a very small number of of people who are very good at a thing and you're making it infinitely smaller by forcing one of them to be the first to do something um and, you know, when we have that situation, like Shirley Muldowney in the, in the drag racing, um, it makes everything so much easier for people that come after you. So, you know, in cases like Susie Wolf or Carmen Jorda, people can decry their existence all they want. But in reality, it's really good to have them in there as drivers or even as just faces that we can tell people where, that they're, you know, participating in the team. Having Susie Wolf do free practices was really great, actually. Yeah. Um, and, yep. And, you know, it goes for all other aspects. Like you said, in broadcasting, in IndyCar, we've got the pit lane reporter. You know, if you look at Formula One, the pit lane reporters are usually men. It's, it's you know, 
Eddie Jordan, it's Will Buxton. And like, that's fine. In IndyCar, we have Katie Hargett. So let's say you have a little girl who wants to be a broadcaster. Oh, Katie Hargett is not tall. Katie Hargett is a short little blonde girl um, who knows more about IndyCar than I, you know, most people I have seen talk about this stuff on the broadcast, on the internet, anywhere. Um, you can point to her, to this girl who wants to be a broadcaster, and say, look, here, here's someone doing this thing. You can do this too. You know, there's, there's engineers. There's, there's, you know, if you walk around the IndyCar paddock, there's, you know, women running around with computers trying to figure out what's wrong with all the cars. Uh, the head of Firestone tire development for IndyCar is now a woman. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's getting women into these positions so that we can point them out to girls who want to get into these fields and make that playing field more equitable. And look, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that we have always been as intellectually enlightened on these kind of things as we are now. I know both, yeah, and, and, and even we have had to. I know, I don't, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. There's definitely times, like, even within the last two years, where I've been like, ugh, Carmen Jorda, like, shouldn't be there, and it's just doing, like, yada, yada, yada. And, and then you're like, actually, no, let me stop. Let me think about this. Let me educate myself and realize that there is an importance to Carmen Jorda being there, whether it's for the right reasons or not. Like, well, you have not, to I wouldn't even say it's the right reasons. I would say, who is Carmen Jorda there for? Is she there for other male drivers? No. Is she there for boys trying to get into racing? No. Is she there to help Lotus with some simulating stuff and not actually drive a car? Yeah, and that's fine. She's also there for young girls trying to get into the sport. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, yeah, when I say widely, what I perceived to be the right reasons and learning that they're not necessarily right reasons is part of that education as well. So we covered a lot of stuff kind of in there and I know it might seem a little bit all over the shop, but so much of this interrelates that it's actually hard or impossible to untangle the concepts into distinct silos because A affects B affects C. So uh, I almost feel like in a, in a... I feel like that was... We gave you a good little overview there, a good little 45-minute overview of kind of like what women have to face in motorsports and why it's just not as simple as, yeah, women don't want to drive, or as simple as, well... Maybe if more women got into it as kids or, or you know, whatnot. It's, there's a lot of factors, and it's a lot to think about. And we think about it a lot. <laughs> because, you know, as we said, you know, you can, you can unpack so many of these things. Not enough women participate. Okay, why aren't they participating? You get these, these young kids participating. Okay, what's preventing them from getting to the next stage? Oh, they're not getting enough sponsorships. Why aren't they getting sponsorships? You know, why are they leaving the sports? All of these things interrelate. And hopefully, as you said, this 45 minutes gave you a bit of a way to think about women in motorsports. And even beyond women in motorsports, you know, the issues that face women in so many aspects. Because many of these problems that we talk about are reflective of they're related. They're reflective of society. You can think about nearly all of these things and apply them to women in science. You can apply them to, you know, women working in sport, women in general, you know, experiences in the corporate world. These concepts of 
exclusion and inequality and inequitable situations and, and, and starting behind the eight ball and behind the level playing field carry over in all of these elements. They do. And, and I, hope, I hope, I really do hope that by getting you to think about them in the framework of motorsports, that maybe you'll think about them in the world at large. And speaking of in the world at large, we actually have a really cool interview for you guys today. Uh, I don't know if you read this, but on our site, I wrote an article about Sam Schmidt, who was, is the uh, quadriplegic team owner of Sam Sch- or Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. Excuse me. Uh, Aero Engineering, who sponsors that team, built him a car that he can drive by turning his head and using head gestures and sipping and puffing on, similar to a wheelchair. Um, yeah, so anyway, we interviewed one of their engineers. <laughs> uh, Grace Dupker is really cool. She um, was nice enough to come on the podcast with us and talk about the Sam Car Project and about being a woman in engineering, working in the world of motorsports. Um, so here you go. Give this a listen, and I hope you enjoy. So yeah, we're here today with, with Grace, um, involved with Aero Electronics and the Sam Car Project. Uh, so first of all, I guess, how did you get involved with this? Uh, yeah, when I was first brought on to to Arrow, um, I was approached by uh, Noelle Marshall. She's our, our project lead, and um, we were talking about the project and stuff, and she's like, I think you'd be a really good fit, and it's like, oh, I would definitely want to be interested, and um, from there, we kind of figured out how what my roles would be um, and how the vision that I saw for the project and what I could bring to the table, and it uh, kind of evolved from there. That's awesome. So we've actually, we've covered a little bit uh, on the website about the SAM project. Um, What is your specific role, just for our listeners, uh, within that team? Yeah, so I kind of took the lead on the the glasses that SAM does, uh, that SAM wears, that uh, tracks um, via the the IR cameras. Um, So developing those, we have, I've done several prototypes of those and then kind of optimizing how the camera reads those um, and the camera mounts and um, how all those systems interact with each other. And then um, I worked a lot with the safety equipment that went into the car. Um, Since the project's been finished, it's mostly just been logistics of the different things we've been doing. So there hasn't been too much engineering as of late to work on. but we have been working a lot on brainstorming new stuff and how we can implement new technology. Uh, so I've kind of taken the lead on on hopefully some things you'll you'll see in the future here. That's awesome. We um, saw a little bit about the the Pikes Peak hill climb, and I guess you know, going from the oval at the speedway to kind of a, I've driven up Pikes Peak. It's a nightmare <laughs> in like a van at 20 miles an hour. I can't imagine like oh, driving yeah. up in, in a race car and then trying to do it like that as well. Um, how was kind of transitioning from the oval to that sort of a course? Yeah, it's um, it was a totally different animal. Uh, we had to we had to change a lot of things actually, and there was a lot of different factors that were just so different. Um, from hitting a, a top speed at Indy to just trying to make it up the mountain, um, <laughs> it was uh, we had to adjust everything from like the steering sensitivity to you know installing oxygen in the car and um, is that just because of the elevation or yeah most of the drivers actually use supplemental oh, wow. oxygen just to help because they are get so thin and you're moving so quickly up it. 
Um, I don't, I think we didn't, he didn't really wear the oxygen during it. We just had it in the car. Just in case. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, and then the, cause the car behaves so differently racing uphill in that, the thin air than it does in the, on a 90 humidity day, 90 degree day in humidity and humidity. <laughs> <laughs> so there was different sense. things we had to do for that, but, um, yeah, it was awesome. Both of them. So. Um, in terms of awesomeness, I guess <laughs> um, they were they were both really cool and uh, really good experiences and both huge challenges for for us and and Sam. That's awesome. So you moved over to Arrow uh, from Clemson, and yep. uh, I see that did you do crew while you were at Clemson, like uh, regatta racing or? I did. I got um, I got my master's in mechanical engineering, and at the same time, I was coaching full time for their rowing team. Oh, that's awesome. Um. <laughs> I was about to say I have a I have a I did crew as well, but I'm four foot eleven, so I was that person that just yells at you and steers <laughs> boats. But no one, no one. I grew up in a town where it was kind of like, don't fall out of the boat because the river has crocodiles, and we're not quite sure. We're not quite sure how safe you're going to be if you hit the water. So don't mess up. You you wanted to stay in those boats. It was quite funny because I was watching, obviously, the Olympics are on at the moment, and they were like, this uh, one of the crews flipped. I believe it was a quad that ended up upside down, and I was like, firstly, that's super impressive. Because flipping the quad is very, very hard to do. Yes. But secondly, I was like, well, I mean, I don't know if I would want to be in the water there because having grown up where I did, like, you just assume something's coming to get you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've, I've been watching Rio pretty close, and they've had a, a lot of interesting things yeah. happen in the, in the water there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Didn't someone hit a couch? Like, there was, there was a kayak that, like hit a sofa underwater or something like that. Like, <laughs> what is happening down there? Yeah. Uh, At least the water is a normal color than the pools. It's, oh, gosh. Yeah. Right. It's, oh, God, so much. I was um, like, this needs a pH test and some chlorine right about now. <laughs> Please fix this. Um, so while you, were, while you were there, did you ever make it to the head of the Charles? I know I put this in the questions, but I'm from Boston, and it's like a huge deal here. It is a huge deal. I did. I've raced there twice, and I've coached there three times. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's definitely probably my – yeah, no, that is my favorite race in, uh, <laughs> in the rowing year. It, there's nothing like it. It always it always ended up being – it's always in, like, October, right? So yeah. the second month of the school year – so it's the first time that like all the students are back and we have to deal with like a massive road shutdown to like accommodate for all of this stuff happening, but it's always such a good time. Yeah, yeah. And the weather at that time of the year is always oh, it's beautiful. super unpredictable too. Yeah, the well the trees, the whole thing is gorgeous. But yeah. I think mean, one year like last year it was like seventy degrees and then like two years ago or three years ago it was snowing and jeez. Oh, yeah. I mean I guess if you think about it, it's the same in April for the marathon, because it's been, yeah. you know, 80 sometimes and 40 sometimes, and it's just kind of, yep. it's ridiculous. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I guess the next question we have is, uh, we are a podcast about women in motorsports, so um, how have you kind of found the path to where you are now to be kind of as a woman and whatnot. <laughs> I mean, I, it's kind of a hard question to ask because, like, I know it's getting easier and easier for people as the years go on, but 
um, you still don't see a whole lot of women in engineering, which right. you know it'd be right. nice to fix that. Right. In my in my master's mechanical engineering program, I was the only female that graduated my class of the PhD and master's students combined. Huh. Which was I mean, you're it at a point you just got used to being like it didn't seem weird because I'd been in that position for so long. It was just yeah. But it is especially in motorsports as you're walking around the pits and stuff, it's definitely still very male dominated. Um but I, you can't really look at it that way, in my opinion. Like, you have to still be yourself, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, yeah. How many you, did, yeah. you said you were the only you were the only woman in your your graduating master's PhD class. How many people graduated with you? Is it is it a small group or a large cohort or? Um, I think there were like thirty four master's wow. students and. Uh, nine or ten PhD students. So it was a, it was a relatively reasonable sized group. Um, were you one of the only ones that kind of did you always intend to go into motorsports? Was that your passion, or was this kind of one of those opportunities that kind of came up more because you had a particular skill set that fitted with this project? Um, it's always definitely been something I'm interest. I was interested in. Um, I never pursued it necessarily like straightforward. I knew I wanted to do something in sports and competitive because that's that's what I know and love and am good at. Mm -hmm. um, and then when this came up it just it was a perfect storm of everything and uh, it's been it's been really great. Had you been an IndyCar fan before this or? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I think some of my my fondest memories are of watching races with my dad when I was little and Singing back home again in Indiana. Oh my God! That was, I think, one of the first first songs I learned all the words to. That's amazing. <laughs> this, this year's Indy 500 was the first one that I had I'd ever like properly watched. Obviously, I, I, Sarah went and I and I watched it home. Um, uh, I enjoyed the part a couple of days beforehand that I realized that the 500 meant 500 miles because. <laughs> Being from Australia, I don't understand miles, and so I was like, "Sarah, this race goes for like four hours," and she's like, "I'm not sure what you thought was happening with it." But I yeah. loved getting to see all those traditions of it. And you mentioned that back home in Indiana, because there's just so I grew up around V8 supercars in Australia, and it's a very different kind of atmosphere and everything. So getting to see all these traditions to the Indy 500 and the fact that they had been around, obviously. A hundred runnings was just was was really awesome this year, and it's one of those things like I saw it all and was like, oh, this is great. Like, sorry, F1, oh, yeah. I think I found something I like more. <laughs> it's a special race for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Very very good. I've completely just lost where I am on my list That's up funny. here. <laughs> 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 I, like I was like, oh, this is the list. Where am I? So um, you've been. So how long have you been with the the kind of Arrow the Sam project now? Um, since this this newest car. So they had a car um, previously, Sam 2.0. It was a Corvette Stingray, um, and then we started this project on the new car, the Corvette Z06, um, around January, December, or January, I think, is when we decided to to go all in on this car. Um, so I've been on the the team since then. And you guys have obviously done some 
some really awesome things. Like you, you did the testing, you did the 500 and that. But for you, which has been the kind of most exciting or rewarding kind of parts of it that you've got to, to see and be part of? I'd say well, I have a whole day. <laughs> <laughs> Qualifying day at the, at the Indy 500, I think, is, is probably one of the best days I've ever had. Because we uh, first we ran with Sam and he ran his laps and that was awesome and then Hinch went out and pole <laughs> yeah yeah and it, it was the whole Aero team and Schmidt Peterson team were together and we were all just cheering like that like the top Aero executives that you only see in suits like they were just going crazy and <laughs> and all of us kind of coming together to celebrate the all of the victories for the day and and like neither of them really outshining each other I guess in terms of um, Arrow um, was was awesome and to be a part of that and to be there it was it was pretty unreal the other I guess the other question I kind of I kind of have is this kind of car and everything is something that's kind of starts to I guess pave the way for something that could be potentially game-changing for people in these situations I mean how do you find it because you're getting to work on something that is something that you love it's sporty it's competitive and all of that but it kind of has a potential for like a broader kind of social impact yeah it's something I think about a lot too is well how can people use this technology and we as engineers we we talk about it a lot like how can we simplify it so it's easier for people to to take this technology and implement it in different ways and use it um, and it's I think it's a big deal and um, kind of enabling more people and not even just um, like former race car drivers but everybody and getting as many people to dream about racing and um, as possible. I think it's it's important for us as a society to kind of get rid of limitations like that and it's it's awesome to, to watch it all happen. Are there any um, specific places that you would like to see that car run? Now that you've done, you know, Indian Pikes Peak, like, <laughs> what's your dream track to, like, set this car up for now? You set the bar. That's a pretty high bar. I know. It's not I, it really is. We've done, we've done a lot of good ones and like me, myself, and my coworkers, we talk about it a lot. Like we just dream and stuff. I think my my top track would be uh, would be Monaco. That's oh, that's dang. probably my, that's probably my dream track to go to. I love if you can get it. Is that because you would love to see it around Monaco, or you really just want to go to Monaco? <laughs> all all of the above. All of the above. Look, if if you could get her, if a car can get around Monaco, I think you can get around most places too. Yeah, that's true. Because that is that is a very narrow, very windy track. Yeah, it is. Yes, it's, it's super <laughs> challenging and super iconic, and uh, that would that, look that, fantastic. Yeah, that would that would be a yeah. Yeah, or or Le Mans. We've talked about Le Mans a little bit. I think that would be pretty awesome too if we could if we could do something like that. But uh, that's all. Uh, <laughs> Hey, you, you gotta you gotta dream big. Exactly, exactly. Right, right. Well, awesome. Um, I think that's pretty much all we've got for now, unless you can think of anything else. I have one. I have one more final question. Obviously, mm -hmm. you said that you came from a degree and a background where there isn't um there wasn't a lot of women in it. Um, do you you know have any thoughts on on encouraging young girls to get into these kind of STEM things, or or why more should be getting into it? Yeah, I definitely think 
engineering needs more girls because it needs that different perspective and the. From working on our team, we have um, it's half girls and half guys, and coming from mostly working on teams that's all men, it's it just makes so much more sense, and we get so much more done, and the team dynamic is has been great. Um, how to do that? I don't. I struggle with that. Like I've thought about it a lot because I was so easily drawn into it. Um, but I think, like, just don't be afraid to fail, I guess. Like, I find that girls sometimes they are like, oh, like, I didn't get it right away, so, like, maybe I, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. But if you really stick with it, like, those first couple of years of engineering school are, are not that fun. But once you get through it, it, like, really opens doors and it's really awesome. And <laughs> this sounds like my decision to go to law school. That was fun. <laughs> the first couple of years, not so much. But not so much. Right. Yeah, not right. It gets fun. Hang with it. Yeah. It's awesome. And there's so many incredible things you can do, too. It's not just sitting in an office designing gears or playing around. It's, there's so much more you can do with it. I think that's becoming a big thing nowadays that they are actually communicating to to young women who potentially could go into STEM what it actually means that it's not just this concept of what like it's not just engineering is just this they're starting to do a better job of communicating just the breadth of what can be done with it and, and like I think what the, actual, what the end game is more than what the end game is more than exactly. the process exactly yep. it yep yeah yeah so oh yeah yeah. Well, I, I will let Sarah wrap this one up. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, uh, is there somewhere we can find you on social media to follow along with uh, this project? Or um, Yeah, I post a lot of stuff on Instagram, uh, just G. Depker. Um, uh, and we have I'm a hashtag, sure... AeroDriven. That yep. Got it. Got it. Stuff should be posted to. We'll uh, also put all the arrow, uh, the arrow social media accounts, and that into the post that we include on this as well. So perfect. if you are looking for them, you can find them in our post on thegoodgirls.com. When perfect. I remember to edit it and put it there. <laughs> we have a website too, arrowsamcar.com, but um, I don't think it's been updated recently with a lot of the, the new stuff that the car has been doing. And so. if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're familiar with our website, uh, Sarah wrote a great article recently about the Sam car and its activities at the Indy 500. So that is definitely worth giving a, a look at if you want you know, the Sam car 101. She's done a great job of that one there. Thanks, friend. <laughs> I am good at the pumping time. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on with us, Grace. This has been really fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. So that was an amazing experience. I loved getting to chat with Grace. Uh, it's so interesting to hear her talk because she comes from an environment where uh, her, her fair factory, obviously, as she said, has a really high proportion of female engineers and things like that. But she did touch on the fact that there was such a massive discrepancy between female graduate students and uh, male graduate students in her program. So it's kind of really interesting to see that evolution. It was also great to hear because uh, while she had a passion for motorsports, it wasn't necessarily where she intended to go. So her kind of journey was super interesting there as well. Uh, 
also that car and the program is incredibly badass dude if if you haven't read my article like and you're familiar with motorsports in general they did yeah read the article first of all it's it's all right uh they did the pikes peak hill climb in that car and i gotta tell you right now like my family did the pikes peak hill climb at 20 miles an hour in our minivan when i was nine years old and i swear to god i thought we were gonna fall off the cliff like multiple times i can't imagine doing it in a race car i doubly can't imagine doing it you know, in a modified car where you have to be completely aware of everything that you're doing all the time, even more so than in a race car. And you still manage to get up that hill at really, really incredibly high speeds. Like I would die. I am not the built for Sam Schmidt is a badass to like the extreme and I cannot even deal. So if you're still with us, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, Saskia and Sarah teach uh, feminist motorsports philosophy 101 which is what we won't call the episode. Um, <laughs> and we will have the episode about Texas and about a little bit of Pocono and about Spa for you in a couple of days. So stay tuned for that. We will see you not after the next race. Shortly. Briefly. Soon. <laughs> in the near future.